passage today is from Matthew 6, 16 to 18. Uh, I'll I'll start with just reading it out. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So today we're talking about fasting and I felt very guilty as I started to prepare this as I'm putting a Malteser in my mouth. It's like, really, Lord? Because you know that when you're called to preach on something, he also asks you to make sure that your heart is right with this as well. That it's not just about preaching, it's also about, are you living this? And so it's like, oh no. And then I thought, well, actually, fasting has been part of my life for a long while, since I was in my teens. And I actually find it really exciting. So... I feel like in order for um, to be effective in the places and things that we're called to for such a time as this, I need to be led in this moment to know what is the priority in my life. You need to be led in this moment to know what is the priority in your life. But we as a church need to be led in this moment to know what is a priority in our life. But how? How? simply by his spirit and that's why we're talking through the rhythms of life at the moment serving prayer giving living a simple life but why fasting in the middle of this because it seems an interesting one doesn't it and and it's because to have the conversation we need to set time aside on a regular basis that we dive into the incredibleness of his word when we pray, when we worship, when we shout out to God. And with fasting, it's very clear from this passage that it's not if you fast, but when you fast. And that's the first point from this. And the second bit, we are making a clear decision to feast on God rather than the things of this world simple isn't it like with everything else there's a simplicity and a beauty in all of this that's not complicated but we are setting our focus on Jesus we are setting our sights on something else other than the things that we feast on we're surrendering our earthly focus our earthly strength because we're embracing his strength and his focus And that's why fasting is so important. And it's also interesting that in this passage, Jesus said that there is a reward for fasting. And that doesn't mean through fasting we can strong arm God into what we want. That's never the purpose of this. But for me, when I read that, I realise there's an absolute grace for this to endure whatever fast God calls us to. There is a grace in it. There's a guy called Arthur Wallace, a Bible teacher, and he wrote God's Chosen Fast. And there's a quote from that. 
When exercised with a pure and right motive, fasting may provide us with a key to unlock doors other keys have failed. And what he's saying there is sometimes when things in our lives are just really difficult and we don't know where to go, the only place we can go is to a place of fasting and prayer. Pete Gregg, who co-founded 24-7 Prayer and champions it, and Steph spoke about last week. The discipline of fasting can focus our prayers in a way that a magnifying glass can focus sunlight to start a fire. I want to start a fire. I want to be part of seeing his kingdom come now and that fire spreading across the place that I live in. I want to see more people come to know Jesus. And I'm prepared to sacrifice for that. And if that means fasting, then so be it. There's a woman called Reverend Adele Cahoon, who's an author of uh, a book called Spiritual Disciplines. This really got to me when I read this. Fasting is an opportunity to lay down appetite for food, media, shopping. This may not seem huge. It's just a meal a look at social media, but it brings us face to face with the hunger at the core of our being. Fasting exposes how we try to keep empty hunger at bay and gain a sense of well-being by devouring creature comforts. Whoa. Through self-denial, we begin to recognize what controls us. Our small denials of self show us just how little taste or time we have for sacrifice, or time with God. This is not meant to discourage, but it's simply the first step in realising that we have to lay down our lives in order to find it again in God. That is just, whoa, that just hit me when I read that. We have to lay down our lives in order to find them again in God. For me, that's powerful. What a challenge. But also what I love about that, it's a clear statement that for most people, fasting is about denial of food and does involve food in some measure. But you can't get out of it if you're saying that for health reasons, you can't fast because there's other things that take your attention, that take your focus. And those are also other things that you can fast from. Find the appropriate fast for you. Seek God, seek him with all your heart. Let's look at some more scripture. Luke 4, 1 to 2. Now when I read this, you'll all go, yeah. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Even Jesus was fasting. Even Jesus. 
Acts 13, 2-3. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Nehemiah 1, 3-4. They said to me, those who have survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. There are so many scriptures about fasting. Just tap into Google fasting in the Bible and see what comes up. See what's written there. But what I love about this is not fasting in isolation. There's this big thing in the world, isn't there, about the diet of fasting and how that helps us. This isn't what we're talking about. We're not fasting to diet. We are fasting to feast, which is the upside downness of the kingdom. And when we're talking about a biblical fast, we're fasting and praying, we're fasting and worshiping, we're fasting and asking for direction. Fasting is never done in isolation. And that doesn't mean we don't fast on our own, it doesn't mean we don't fast together. But the act of fasting has to come with turning our attention, turning our focus to God. So I'm going to say this again. Fasting is radical. It's where we embrace our weakness, our vulnerability, and we embrace the strength of a wild, revolutionary, reforming Jesus don't you want that? That wild, revolutionary, reforming Jesus, who we know is the Jesus of the Bible. Why? Because we already know that the degree to which we adopt a tame and insipid picture of Jesus is the degree to which we avoid the mission to which he has called us. Oh, my word. I'm going to read that again. We know that the degree to which we adopt a tame and insipid picture of Jesus is the degree to which we avoid the mission to which he has called us. If you are avoiding the mission that God has called you to, then my question to you is, what does your Jesus look like? Is your Jesus tame? Does he have any strength? Does he have any power? Because I want my Jesus to be so wild and so revolutionary and so freeing that any mission that he calls me to, it's a yes and amen from me because I have no other choice. Is that your Jesus? Is that where you're going with this? Because an insipid Jesus has no place in any of our worlds at all. We're meant to be a dangerous people. I've been reading a lot by an Old Testament scholar called Walter Brueggemann lately, and he finds parallels between the, our experiences as Christians of a dislocation and uncertainty and irrelevance and the experience of the Old Testament people in the exile in Babylon. 
He cites biblical materials such as lamentations as expressing the sadness of these people. But he has a warning with this. He warns us that in this place we can become so preoccupied with self and our agendas that we struggle to step outside, rethink, reimagine, rediscover and redescribe a greater reality, an incredible reality. And yet we have this incredible invite to live freely, dangerously, tenaciously, where we don't let go. This is why we fast, to set our focus, to say yes and amen to this invite, to understand the radical wild freeing call to holiness, to then call others, generations, to this way of living and live it out. Our hearts totally surrendered. I love that sense of that it's not about me, that it's not about what I can and can't do, it's about God. It's about Jesus living in me, that spirit that rises up and says, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then rises up with the boldness and just does it. Where that perfect love drives out any fear that stops me. But that requires sacrifice. That requires fasting. That requires letting go and surrendering and just breathing him in and allowing ourselves to be set on fire. When they gathered in that upper room, they fasted. They fasted, they were frightened. And then they let go and surrendered. And we had that day of Pentecost and 3000 were added to their number that day. We have had 3000 in recent memory gathering in Telford, praising and worshiping God at the International Center. We have had that number, but we want more. We want more and more and more. Why? Because for us, this is the only way. This is the only path to freedom. This is the only way to know Jesus. And through Jesus, then getting to know the Father and being born again into an incredible life. His spirit setting us on fire to go, to make disciples. The Trinity at work, the fullness of the gospel at work, no half measures. None of us are meant to live in half measures. None of us are meant to live without that sense of excitement with that sense of, I am not letting go till you have done it in my lifetime. What's God saying to you now? What's he asking of you? What's he saying to your hearts? Is he setting you on fire? Because this is the place where we tell our dangerous stories that live now. Stories that are an affront to the very system and the time that we live in, where there's a consumerism, where there's greed, where there's self-centeredness, where there's violence that's so random and so we can't get our heads around it. Isaiah 42.14 says, For a long time I have kept silent.
I have been quiet and held myself back, but now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out and I pant. Are you crying out? Are you crying out to this God that you believe in? Don't be silent. Don't hold back. Dangerous Jesus, both human and God, that incarnation at work. Whoa, how exciting is that? How exciting. Whoa. I look at Harry and James and Amy, and what I see are in you guys is a people that will write dangerous songs because every revolution is accompanied by songs that tell of the time. And you guys are called to write dangerous songs, dangerous worship songs. This is no different. And you were called for such a time as this to do that. Start writing those songs because we need to be singing them. We need to be singing them because it's when we join in with these songs, we share in the promises of this incredible God. We declare our commitment to a new way of justice, of peace, of mercy, of generosity, the way of Jesus, of holiness. Tell your stories, guys. Write your worship songs. Live dangerously. I want to read a few lines from a, a Danish pastor called Kaj Munk, and he wrote a poem on this poem. I read this and I was in tears. I spend most of my life in tears at the moment, just from a, it's like, why do I bother wearing makeup? Because I'm crying all the time because he's just, just sitting on my heart and saying, oh, damn. And he's saying to each and every one of you, he's calling you by name now. This poem. What therefore is the task of the preacher, the church today? Shall I answer faith, love, hope? That sounds beautiful, but I would say courage. No, not even that is challenging enough. Our task today is recklessness. For what we Christians lack is not psychology or literature. We lack a holy rage. The recklessness that comes from knowledge of God and humanity, the ability to rage against complacency. And it goes on and on about deaths, needless deaths and violence and hunger and all those things. But then it says at the very end, to restlessly seek the recklessness that will challenge and seek to change human history until it conforms with the norms of this kingdom. Are you restless enough? Is God making you restless and you don't know why? Are you frustrated with your life at the moment and are desperate to get moving? That is God making you restless because you are meant to be people changers. Restlessly seeking this restlessness. So when you feel restless, just say, oh, thank you, Lord. What do you want me to be seeking? Where do you want me to going? What do you want me to do with this frustration? But the thing at the end, and remember the signs of the church have always been the lion, the lamb, the dove and the fish. 
never the chameleon. I love that line, no compromise. We're not built to fit in with what others want us to be. We're not meant to be nice to people that we have to have no truck with. We are meant to be part of a church where the lion, the lamb, the dove and the fish are paramount, where Jesus says, go and challenge and challenge and challenge and change history around you. Take the land that you're standing on because I've called you for this. Perhaps in the place of recklessness, because sometimes that can mean that there's no thought to it. I would perhaps put abandonment or fierceness. But you get the idea. You are not meant to be chameleons who can adapt. You're meant to be who you are because he's made you for now. This is why we fast. Because in our own strength, we cannot do this. We would just get so burdened. We cannot do this in our own strength. We fast because we want to embrace his strength, his power, his authority. We want to make sure that every single time it's not about us, we are pointing the way straight back to Jesus. We get no glory. It's not about our, ourselves. It's not about us making a name. That's why we fast. So the passage that we started with, I want to read it from the message. When you practice some appetite denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into small time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly, shampoo and comb your hair, which I have to say has been a bit of a stress over the last few months, <laughs> where we all actually want to sit in our pajamas on Zoom. But this is saying shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. Whoa, whoa. Don't you just love this, God? It is so simple. So, so simple. So what's he saying to you? Where is he calling your hearts? What's he inspiring you with? You are called here the minister because you are a bold people you are a fierce people you're called by name now so let's be right at the center and forefront of this revolution and this reformation that is going to take place across this land and let's point the way to jesus again and again and again yes and amen yes and amen